Morning Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It's already Friday somehow, and you are watching AM to DM. All right, well, here's a tweet from Variety. Ellen DeGeneres says she called the Academy to ask them to reconsider having Kevin Hart host the Oscars. And now I've seen nope. it. They've... No. Y'all already know how I feel about this. <laughs> so we're just going to take it to the timeline. <laughs> what do you think about Ellen, mm. Kevin Hart, mm. and the Oscars? Mm -hmm. Let us know using the hashtag New Year, New Me. And let me put it this way, that is the that on that. It really is. Well, the docu-series Surviving R. Kelly premiered last night on Lifetime. It lit up Twitter. Kay, you tweeted, this documentary is not just telling us about R. Kelly, it's telling us who we are as a society. John Legend had this to say about it, to everyone telling me how courageous I am for appearing in the doc. It didn't feel risky at all. I believe these women and don't give a fuck about protecting a serial child rapist. Easy decision. Easy decision. Dominique Mahdi tweeted, I think a lot of people are okay with R. Kelly because there is an R. Kelly in their family. An open secret. Someone everyone talks about but doesn't do anything about. And Dream Hampton, who executive produced the docuseries, tweeted, He may not appear in Surviving R. Kelly, but his relentless reporting is foundational. Thank you, Jim Dargatis. Jim Derogatis, who has been reporting on R. Kelly's history of abuse for BuzzFeed News, joins us now. Jim, good morning. Morning, fellas. How are you? We're doing well. So, in sum, you have been covering this story for over a decade at this point, and you have spoken... Uh, almost uh, two, two decades. Yeah. 18 years. Yeah, and you've been spoken uh, quite eloquently about the struggle to get people to pay attention. Well, people are certainly paying attention now, we hope. Uh, what was it like, you know, seeing this docuseries take over the timeline overnight? I, you know, uh, Marissa Carroll, my incredibly talented editor at BuzzFeed, may uh, regret me saying this, but I have never felt proprietary about this story in the sense of I want to own every scoop. For 18 years, I've been saying, where is the rest of music and culture journalism in trying to expose this man who has been now for 30 years preying on underage uh, women and young women? girls and young women. Um, I, you know, why this has not been a bigger source of outrage for three decades uh, has been a mystery to me. So, you know, Dream Hampton is a colleague I have a lot of respect for. What she has done with this docuseries is, uh, you know, give the viewer the sense of what I've lived with for 18 years. Uh, I don't say that self-aggrandizingly. Um, when you have sat with a victim of sexual abuse, and she has made the incredible brave move of telling you her story on the record. That is an incredible, uh, powerful experience. Those women are heroines. Um, I've done that now for 18 years. What Dream Hampton's done, uh, you know, in this docuseries is give viewers that opportunity. Meet these women. Until you have met them, I don't think you can be moved to be disgusted at the barbecue when Step in the Name of Love comes on or Ignition Remix comes on or somebody plays I Believe I Can Fly at a kindergarten graduation. Um, you know, Dream has been saying in interviews we are in a post-textual society that uh, the video documentary is, is the current mode of, of bringing home important stories. I think there is power in that, but the reporting that I've done, you know, especially for the last two years for BuzzFeed is complicated, is difficult. Um, you know, going back to the first story I did in December 2000 for the Chicago Sun-Times, it was difficult. It was incredibly stressful. Um, you know, there's a role still, I think, for important text journalism to lay out the complicated facts. And there's certainly a role for what Dream has done with this documentary. Absolutely. And, and, and to talk about the way you put it, so meet these women and hear their stories. And they are so brave for speaking up. That said, Dream Hampton has said that celebrities like Questlove, Jay-Z, Mary J. Blige, and others refused to appear in the documentary. John Legend, of yep. course, did. We read his tweet. Are you surprised that so many celebrities are still remaining silent? 
No, I, I'm not. Uh, you know, BuzzFeed, uh, my colleagues there, you guys did a wonderful story when I broke the big cult story in July of 2017, where they called some 40 people who have recorded with or been produced by or toured with R. Kelly. Um, you know, I don't think any random celebrity on the red carpet needs to answer for the sins of other celebrities. But if you have been in the recording studio or the concert stage with Robert Sylvester Kelly and you have not addressed this, I mean, Jay-Z made two albums with him and there was an aborted 40-day tour. The tour fell apart in the middle when one of Jay's uh, crew pepper sprayed R. Kelly. You know, it, it resulted in lawsuits. Jay sued Kelly. Kelly sued Jay. You know, Kelly won. I think there's a non-disparagement clause in that lawsuit when Jay-Z had to pay Kelly for kicking him off the tour in 2004. Uh, you know, I think there's an incredible lack of courage and good for John Legend. Uh, Vince Staples is someone else who has spoken out, but we can count those people on one hand. Um, you know, uh, it, it's just ridiculous. And, and to that point, um, as you mentioned, like even people like Jay-Z have had to deal with litigation um, from um, R. Kelly, and, and, and certainly, um, you know, that's not rare. Um, R. Kelly is threatening to sue, you know, um, because of this documentary, <laughs> threatening to sue Dream. Hampton, yeah. what do you make of those comments? I have been writing about R. Kelly since December 2000. I have never been the subject of a lawsuit. I got a verse in I Admit, you know, Jim DeRogatis or whatever your name is, you built a career on me. Uh, not, not quite. I've written 11 books. Um, you know, uh, R. Kelly's not going to sue because the process of discovery is, you know, literally millions of documents long. And, uh, you know, yeah, it, 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 go ahead and sue anybody you'd like to, uh, Robert, because the evidence that will come out in trial, as if the evidence on the public record for the last 20 years isn't disturbing enough, you know, I, I think it's time for a reckoning. The, uh, you know, I, I remember uh, demonstrations by black activists, women, uh, you know, starting in 2002 when I received the videotape at home. They have never stopped, but they have gained considerable m momentum because of the mute R. Kelly movement. And yet RCA Records uh, will not comment on his status. Is he still an RCA artist? Is he not? Uh, you know, radio stations continue to play him. Uh, concert promoters continue to book him. And we're not holding uh, those cash-generating machines responsible. Uh, again, I don't think, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm a First Amendment absolutist. Uh, and I believe largely that we can separate the art from the artist. Pablo Picasso was not a nice man. He hurt women. Uh, we don't see that in his art. Uh, Kelly is part of the 1% of 1% who have been singing about his crimes in his music. You know, let us never forget the sexual relationship he had with Aaliyah when she was 15 and he wrote an album and had her record the title track, Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. He has been confessing his uh, predatory behavior uh, since the mid-90s. And yet, you know, nobody has held him account. And so certainly the music industry, the justice system, uh, you know, the, the I'm working on a longer project. The, the, the 2008 trial is just fascinating. And I know Dream would have liked to have dug into it deeper, but Cook County Criminal Court did not allow audio or video recording. You know, the stuff that was public record over a six week trial in 2008 uh, is astounding. And yet it's forgotten in the cultural memory. It's forgotten you know, in the cultural memory. Jim, like you're saying, the evidence is there. He has been confessing about it in his music. It is all right there. And only time will tell if this time around we're going to see more consequences. As always, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so, so much for your reporting. Yeah, absolutely. Really appreciate it. All right. We want to take this one to the timeline. What stood out most to you about the first night of Surviving R. Kelly? And don't forget, there's going to be more today and tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Tune into that. Well, uh, you might have heard that New Yorkers are a little 
pissed about the subway? Here's a tweet from John Paul Brommer about that. The L train keeps changing its availability with little to no concern about how I have had to restructure my life around it. So yes, we are dating. That's right, Governor Cuomo has halted the full shutdown of the L train, which is rather impressive given that in the past, Cuomo has implied he doesn't control the subway at all. At all, it's like it's like the weather. It's, it's magic. Like act of God. Mm. I, I can't imagine what he does with all the political capital as a liberal governor in New York. Anyway, Gotham Gazette executive editor Ben Max joins us now. Ben, good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, this was wild yesterday. It rocked the timeline. Uh, how has the L train shutdown hurt you, though? Mm. Hurt me. Well, it definitely, uh, as as breaking news that the governor's involved with, it certainly has changed my last uh, 24 hours or so until we're talking now. So uh, that's the biggest impact it's had on me, certainly, is trying to figure out what all this really means and uh, and really what's going on here. Okay, so let's talk about what, what's going on here. Why this change of heart and how surprising was this? Because I was taken aback. Did the mayor know? <laughs> I, I think the, the mayor uh, got a brief heads up about uh, the general sense of what was coming when the governor was making an announcement that was basically setting the stage for a massive overhaul of something that's been in place for quite a long time. And, you know, the, the city and the state and the MTA, which are all three uh, somewhat separate entities, have all done a tremendous amount of outreach and planning to put things in place for a planned shutdown of of this subway line or most of this subway line coming in April. And now the whole, the whole game has changed. So I don't think the mayor was fully briefed and really uh, very few people knew what the governor was about to do when he went and, and made his announcement yesterday. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, and, and I hate to force you to create a simple, straightforward explanation for something like the MTA, but who wins and loses at this point with the MTA? Well, so the governor's swooping in if things go well, and we we have so many outstanding questions. We obviously don't have time to go into all of them right now, but if things go well, the governor certainly wins here. He comes in, and when we thought most of a, of, of a subway line that carries hundreds of thousands of people a day was going to shut down completely for 15 months, he's now keeping it open with only some partial night and weekend shutdowns. Uh, he could potentially be a, a huge winner here. I think a lot of writers are feeling a lot of relief, except there are many who are very upset because people have changed their lives dramatically thinking that this shutdown was was coming up. In terms of a clear loser here, it's leadership at the MTA and the people who put the previous plan in place who have now been superseded and, and embarrassed, really. And let's talk about that, because here's a tweet from you, Ben. Cuomo and MTA acting chairman Freddie Ferrer went public before the MTA board was fully briefed. So where is MTA leadership? Are they hurting this morning? How did that feel? And actually, as a citizen of New York... You live in Brooklyn. Like, this was supposed to be building for our future. So is this really just throwing a patch on what was going to be a real fix? So that is one of the big outstanding questions here is they've certainly reduced the scope of the work. So one of the big questions now is, is this all patchwork that is only going to last maybe a, maybe a couple decades? Are they really doing the full rehab that this tunnel needs that was very badly damaged by Hurricane Sandy? Or is this something where the governor wanted more of a political win? He wanted to come in and save the day. And, you know, in many ways, this was a very typical Andrew Cuomo move. Whether it works out or not, he didn't do the full briefing like, you know, I tweeted and like you read there, there were MTA board members yesterday who had really no idea what was going on. And for the governor to hold this press conference with these uh, academic experts who helped him craft this new plan without briefing the MTA board that then has to vote on it is a very strange and really, you know, fundamentally problematic move in terms of how government operates. The governor is now this morning saying he's calling on the MTA to hold an emergency board meeting to vote on the plan when yesterday, because at his behest, the MTA had already put out a press release that said shutdown averted. So there's a lot of mixed messages here. 
to say the least. Well, Ben, as always, thank you for joining us. And get some books for those damn shelves. <laughs> <laughs> you should be ashamed. Wow, shaming the guest about his bookshelves? A mess. Saeed. All right, well, listen, Twitter, we want to hear from you. Can you tell that we got a fancy new graphic and we're having a fun time using it? You got a Mm, Uh no-hook. All right, listen, are you stoked about the L train shutdown that it isn't happening or a little worried about the future of the MTA? Or do you think this is enough NYC talk for one day? Let us know using the hashtag AM2. Not everybody lives in New York. Don't let there be a thunderstorm in New York today. Okay. (laughs) All All right, later in the show, I'm so excited to talk with Jeremy Pope from Choir Boy. I saw it a couple weeks ago. It's incredible. And Isaac is going to talk about the real secret behind his flawless, flawless skin. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Welcome back. Let's get into these fire tweets. Cat tweeted, by the age of 30, you should have $200 in savings that you transferred to your checking account on the third of each month because you forgot about an auto payment. Mm. One viral tweet from over a year ago. Mm. A physical ailment that you ignore because you are not sure how your insurance works. Maybe a job? Damn, Cat. Ooh, I felt that tweet. Kill us softly, Cat. Ooh, I felt that tweet. That's real. Check your pin tweets right now. Just check. If your pin tweet right now is a viral tweet from over a year ago, maybe think of updating. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm just saying. All right, feeling sassy. All right, this tweet comes from Rachel. I have never had a tweet go viral, so she doesn't have this problem, but yawned once, and uh, a few people around me also yawned, so I get it. (laughs) She's uh, she's pinned her yawn. That's a good description of what it I is like. I love all of a sudden you went from, I'm nice, I love everything, to like, uh-uh, girl. Your, your viral is old, girl. The Saeed jumped out. <gasps> Ponyo tweeted, someone asked me why I was wearing a fake AirPod. Bro, that is my hearing aid. Uh-uh. Mm. Uh- See, now that's the kind of rudeness that I can't abide by. Don't go like that. Don't do people like that. But also, don't be so fucking dumb. You don't know what an (laughs) earring aid looks like, you dumbass. They've gotten real future. Have they? Oh, yeah. All right, T. Shout out to you, Ponyo. All right, this tweet comes from Sage Boggs. (laughs) On something today. Um, Have you ever woken up from a stressful dream, then slowly realized all of the awful consequences from the dream that will not actually affect you in real life? That feeling is number one. Yes! That is me most nights. I love this tweet so much because here's the thing. When you're a kid, mm-hmm. you used to have those dreams. This is, I, I remember this. I dream, oh my God, I'm getting a Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And then you'd wake up, mm-hmm. no Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I'm dating myself a little bit with that mm-hmm. reference, but just so sad, no Nintendo. This is the opposite of that. You, <laughs> when you become an adult, you have these stress dreams and you're like, oh no, I was late to the show. And then you wake up and you're on time. You're like, yes, That's life true. is delicious. That's, life is delicious. That's true. I will say though, if I dream I have an argument with you, I'm usually mad. That's that explains a lot. <laughs> Let's get into this tweet okay. of the day. <laughs> tweet of the day comes from somebody. Each day on Twitter, there's one main character. The goal is to never be it. Now, that's true. That's from Maple Cocaine. I am going to say that name. Maple Cocaine. I will say, who's the main... I mean, today is an, it's an ensemble. You... We know who the main character is today, I feel like. I know who the main character was last night. That's true. Yeah. I... Mm. It was R. Kelly. Ha. Ah, and then Ellen was like, I want it. Now Kevin Hart is like, I want... I don't know, girl. <laughs> All right, coming up, I sit down with the star of Darrell Alvin McCready's new show on Broadway, Choir Boy, It's So Good, Jeremy Pope, but up next we're going live from the district. Nothing going on down there. They're competing for the spotlight. Welcome back. We are going live from the district. Uh, Of course, there was a video of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that was posted on Twitter yesterday. Uh, It was very scandalous. Oh, yes! I don't like this at all. A teenager having fun? I'm not into that at all. I'm not into these flawless looks. Yeah. Oh, she should be ashamed. Her hair is perfect. For having a childhood, for for existing on this level. 
it just makes me so upset. Her hair is laid and the Republicans are mad about it? I don't understand. Now, to be clear, the tweet was deleted, the original tweet. That's why this one is up here right now so that we can watch this video. Uh, But yeah, basically most people responded with... uh, Do you know how hard it is to dance on that kind of rooftop grating? Where's the controversy here? (laughs) White House correspondent Tarini Party joins us now. Good morning, Tarini. Good morning, guys. So do you have any high school footage that you'd be embarrassed by? And by embarrassed, I really mean thrilled uh, if it was uncovered. (laughs) Uh, So in case you guys don't know this about me or haven't figured it out, I was an ultra nerd in high school. So as much as I'd like to think there are these casually cool videos of me out there, I would be utterly mortified if anything ever came out from high school. (laughs) I never would have guessed that. That's fine. I, no, I think Tarini, I don't believe it. I think Tarini's got some bangers. Style. I, I think she's got some real good dance moves back in high school. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. I was actually a stage crew manager, so mostly just me wearing black cargo pants while other people danced and, and sang songs. <laughs> See, I was trying to mercifully keep it moving, and you were like, nope, I need to drag myself. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> the cargo pants sent me. <laughs> Yesterday was the first day of the 116th Congress. Of course, a lot of history was made. Uh, Tarini, what were some of the highlights? Yes, yeah, so lots, lots of highlights. Um, obviously, we saw Nancy Pelosi make history yesterday as the first woman, uh, first person since Sam Rayburn to win back the speakership after losing it. Uh, we also had Ayanna Presley, the first black congresswoman from Massachusetts. Um, we saw a ton of kids on the House floor yesterday, um, you know, dabbing, screaming, running around. Um, we also had um, Rashida Tlaib, the, uh, who will be the first uh, Palestinian-American uh, woman elected to Congress and one of two Muslim women. Um, we had two Native American women um, casting their first votes. Um, we also had, you know, a lot of selfies being taken on the House floor. Um, House rules be damned. No one cared. Wait, let's talk about that real quick because I don't think everyone knows the House rules maybe as well as you do, Tarini. Uh, why are selfies illegal on the House floor? That seems a little outdated to me. Yeah, so obviously these rules are very old and were written when, you know, selfies were not a thing and you're not technically supposed to have electronic equipment um, on uh, on the floor of the house. And so taking selfies um, uh, is banned. And if you remember when House Democrats did a sit-in, um, you know, and they were taking pictures and videos, it was a, it was a big deal back then. So this is sort of a, a similar situation, except this time no one is really seems to care. Yeah, because there was a lot of joy. That said, it's not all peachy. Here's a tweet from Politico. Freshman Representative Rashida Tlaib broke with party leaders just hours after taking office, declaring Democrats in the House will, quote, go in there and impeach the motherfucker. What was the response to that, Tarini? (laughs) Um, That is obviously some straight talk uh, from an incoming House Democrat, not something we're used to seeing from um, a very, very new member of Congress. Um, This, you know, just goes to show that that this incoming class of freshmen is not going to care what party leadership, what Nancy Pelosi thinks. They're going to say what they want. Um, And, you know, because we're in D.C., there's obviously a more sort of cynical political strategy thought um, that that people are talking about after this um, in the sense that Rashida Tlaib beat out several different Democrats in this very liberal district in her primary. And so, you know, establishing herself as a sort of national liberal figure will only help her uh, in her reelection. And she's sort of wasting no time in, in doing that and firing shots. I did want to ask, I mean, you know, of course, on my timeline, I was seeing a lot of pictures, the kid dabbing, and just all of the the history being made, a lot of elation, a lot of selfies. I was curious, what were Republican House members doing that? Because I I wasn't seeing a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, there was a very stark divide uh, that was noticeable. Uh, You know, if anyone was watching C-SPAN, you know, it was a very colorful um, side on, on one end in terms of obviously the diversity and also just, you know, the various outfits. And then on the other side, uh, the Republican side, it was mostly, you know, old white men in suits. Um, not, you know, they, there was some booing when um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, voted for Pelosi for speakership. But other than that, we didn't really see much. I mean, they're obviously going to be in the minority now, so they're not happy. And, um, you know, there was not much joy on that side. 
All right, well, that's what was going on inside the house, but let's think about what was going on on the outside. There's a lot of garbage outside of Congress. Here's a tweet from Nick Schwellenbach. Quick pick on my bike ride in. That's the White House in the background. The National Park can't empty trash cans next to the Washington Monument. Looks like New York. That's a lot of garbage. <laughs> so, Tarini, what's going on there, and have you seen this yourself? Yeah, so um, because of the shutdown, we are now, you know, two weeks into this shutdown, and that is one of the the, the things that's going to happen because there aren't federal workers picking up the trash. Um, I am personally a lazy person and have not ventured out to the, the National Mall to witness this. Uh, but, you know, as a reporter, we're already seeing, um, you know, the, the effects of the shutdown in terms of the people we usually deal with. So the White House was not putting out, you know, their daily schedule over the holidays as they usually do um, because of the shutdown. Okay, and real quick, it's not just in D.C., though. Uh, we have some pics of national parks that I found shocking. So what's going on there? Right. So because this is a partial shutdown, it's a tricky situation. Usually in a shutdown, you know, national parks shut down uh, most of the time. This time they're open, but there aren't enough federal workers who are working at these national parks to take care of them. So there are, you know, long lines, there's trash um, at these, you know, beautiful national parks. Well, speaking of the shutdown, here's a tweet from Paul McLeod. Despite House Democrats and around a half dozen Republicans who broke ranks passing tonight's spending bills, Trump is refusing to sign them into law because they do not include border wall funding. So, Tarini, this is my question as we celebrate, you know, history being made, because that's great, no matter where you are on the spectrum in this new Congress, uh, is it just going to be a loop of House legislation being passed but ultimately going nowhere? Yes, that is one of the things that is going to happen, given we are now in this divided government. Uh, you know, House Democrats are not going to want to give in on things like the border wall. And the president, as we know, is stubborn and has dug in on this issue. So this is something that we're probably going to see repeat, it repeat itself as the dynamics of this divided government play out. All right. Well, Tarini, as always, thank you for joining. Love the scarf, by the way. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. As always. Um, up next, I'm sitting down with Broadway star Jeremy Pope. All right, my queens, this is The Sit Down, and I'm joined by actor Jeremy Pope, star of the new Broadway show, Choir Boy. Good morning. Hello. This is a delight. I love Terrell Alvin McCraney. You guys might know him because of uh, Moonlight, the brother-sister plays. Um, but now we have Choir Boy on right. Broadway. Yes. Okay, so you play uh, a student, a queer student at an all-male, all-black preparatory school yeah. who will not block his shine for anyone. <laughs> so let's not take a look at one it. of the performances. You don't hold on, on. keep your eyes on the prize. Oh. Ooh, y'all be singing. Uh, <laughs> and it's not for nothing because your character Ferris, I mean, his talent, you know, as a singer is an important part of his characterization. So yeah. as a real life performer, what was it like relating to him? Um, you know, I think where, where I came in with Ferris is in high school was mm -hmm. kind of when I stepped out and started to sing and mm -hmm. show, you know, my peers. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, a lot of people would call me gay and, mm -hmm. you know, the F word mm -hmm. because of that, just mm -hmm. because I wanted to step out and kind of shine in that way. Um, but I was able to find the theater that's when I started theater and, you know, I, I call myself a little weirdo, but we were able to find a space for each other and mm -hmm. kind of love on each other. And I think that's what Ferris is looking for, just a space to be welcomed for who he is and all that he is mm -hmm. and all the talent and um, that he has to offer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the choir is, is his refuge yeah, yeah. in the school and the solos. Um, I mean, you know, even as recently as this morning now, you know, we're talking about Kevin Hart mm -hmm. um, and, and, and his past homophobic jokes. In Choir Boy, you know, your character opens singing beautifully and someone screams a gay slur mm -hmm. that it's like shattered glass, yeah. you know? So what's it like to be, form to be performing a play that is all about queerness, hyper-masculinity? Is it possible for us to develop these relationships while it's very much an ongoing story outside the theater? Yeah, um, I think... You know, I, 
my hope there is a relationship, as you know, between a roommate, my roommate, mm -hmm. um, who is just very comfortable with who he is, yeah. but kind of looks out for fairs, mm -hmm. you know, a straight black kid figuring out life, but comfortable with who he is. And that's something that we don't see, that right. relationship. We don't know if that can exist, mm -hmm. and it does. And I think that's special. You know, and me playing Ferris and hearing those things and feeling those things, it's hard, you know, mm -hmm. to kind of go to that place. But I know how important it is for people, other people, to see themselves represented on a Broadway stage mm -hmm. and that story and that, um, um, that they can kind of see themselves represented and know that their story is being heard yeah. and that they're being seen um, so I just kind of hold on to that, you know, night by night and know that there's someone out there in the audience who needs this healing and needs to kind of see and feel the story. Absolutely. By the end of the play, I was like, my eyes have been missing over yes. for 15 minutes. So, <laughs> so beautiful. Um, you, you've been open about being kicked out of your home um, when you were younger and about, as you mentioned, that performing and, and theater like was a really a saving grace for yeah, you. Yeah. Um, what's it like to be able to play a character like Ferris, who is going through some similar issues as well? Yeah, I mean, it, it really touches, you know, home base for me. I, I know what that feels like, mm -hmm. um, you know, but I also, similar to Ferris, that fire that in, mm -hmm. that's inside of you. You know, if Ferris isn't shy, he's not he's, quiet, he's not just trying to get by, he's, mm -hmm. you know, he's come in asking for a, a position of power, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. the problem. He's, a, he's very political. He's very political. He's like a little and politician. that's the problem. It's like, <laughs> how do you want to be different mm -hmm. and, you know, you know kind of claim stake at power, you know? So, um, you know, I think for me, it, it, it's so easy to tap into my personal experiences mm -hmm. of what I felt mm -hmm. and what it feels to kind of be alone in that mm -hmm. and kind of be the only one, mm -hmm. you know, striving towards this goal, this idea that you have that maybe not everyone else at the time is, you know, with you on mm -hmm. or believing in you mm -hmm. um, on. Um, but, you know, for me, my parents now have come full circle. They've okay. seen Choir Boy. They're mm -hmm. so supportive of me now. And I think for them, it was just, it was just scary. You know, where I'm from, you know, Orlando, Florida, and the be all is Disney if mm -hmm. you're gonna be a performer. So they were like, just do that. Okay. You know, but to kind of step out of that and move to New York, mm -hmm. and it was kind of like a question mark, and then do mm -hmm. what? Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> You know, and I didn't know uh -huh. that fearless of like, I don't know, but mm -hmm. it's going to be okay. I knew that I was going to work hard to kind of make whatever it is that was in my mind come true. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Choir Boy is that, you know, yeah. it was my first job back in 2013. Wow. So to kind of full circle five years later, I've mm -hmm. grown so much just mm -hmm. in five years um, in who I am and what I am and what my purpose is. Mm -hmm. And I just know that how important it is to be sharing this story Absolutely. for people to see you know, in a commercial Broadway, you know, yeah. theater. On Broadway. You know, last time it was like we were serving 100 people a night. And that was that was fierce, like, Absolutely. you know, but now it's like we get to do that to a bigger audience. And just the response, the audience response is so special yeah. and so just, just so unique. And yeah. I just love that. You know? I love it. I, mean, I mentioned Terrell Alvin McCraney, um, MacArthur Genius Grant winner, yes. Oscar winner. He was he was there that night and I had to keep myself from like looking at <laughs> it because I was neck, like, right? what does it mean, you know, for him to be finally making his Broadway debut? What does yeah. it mean for you to be working with him? Yeah, I mean, Terrell, like he's the homie, number one. Yeah. You know, he is my ride or die. Um, and... I think what's special about this version of Choir Boy, because people have asked me, is it different than the 2013? And I'm like, very much so. He kind of came in and rewrote a lot of it, but it's because he's also, you know, heading the playwright division at Yale. Mm. So he's running an institution, and our play is about a male, you know, a headmaster trying to run an institution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he came in informed with how do you do that? How do you bring all of these peoples with different walks of lives and ideas of lives mm. and, um, you know, uh, goals, I guess, and to kind of follow them into a one cycle where it's like, this is the way to, this is the way to succeed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people fall in line and some people fall out of line. Mm. So he just came in very informed in that way. And it, you know, was, his pen was just going mm. and it, it's been so exciting. He's also working on a TV show. So it's like, when we get Terrell, I'm like, Terrell, <laughs> what do you need from me? Where like, can I how go? Can I help you know you? what I mean? Like, how, how can I help, I help you? you? But, you know, he's so cool and so chill and so easy. And what I love is just he he puts it all out there. He puts his heart out there. Yeah. Um, and it's just so beautiful to be able to be a part of that. I love it. And I mean, this is my, my wish for you. I was thinking, I realized I saw Terrell Alpha McCraney's The Brother Sister Place at the yes. Public over a decade ago. Yes. And only recently, I was like... Oh my God! You like Brian like, Tyree Henry? I think Sterling K. Brown. Yes, exactly. We're in that. Fam, look like, at them now. Exactly. You know, so this is that's this is going to be you very Thank soon you. too. Also, you're not just doing Choir Boy. You're also <laughs> going to be in Eddie Kendrick's "Ain't Too Proud," yes. which is it's also going to be on Broadway about the Temptations. Yes. Uh, I, how are you doing all this? 
<laughs> I don't know. No, it's it, it's a little bit crazy. It's, it's kind of a scheduling nightmare, but in the most beautiful way. It's champagne problems, you mm. know. But true um, champagne. True champagne. You go from having no jobs to all the jobs. But it's just gonna be uh, rehearsals during the day for Temptations okay. and Choir Boy at night. Okay. Um, we'll be doing that for a little bit, and then I think the day. Um, well, I'm, when I leave Choir Boy, the next day we start previews for Temptations. Okay. So I have a couple of friends and uh, fans that will see me in w- uh-huh. the Sunday performance of Choir uh-huh. Boy, and then that Wednesday they will see me in A2 Prime. I kind of like it. It's 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 a it's a it's a moment. You I know? might make just, it a goal. I like yeah. that. Let's just walk down the street. Yeah, just I come on it. two streets down and come check it. us out. So that'll be the next the next thing. And I have my fellows over there, my A2 Prime family. They're dope. I you have it. to see that show. Exciting, exciting. And listen, I need the songs from Choir Boy. I, I need it. I need to. I need that music, y'all. <laughs> it's really good. I need it on my Spotify. I got we got you. some bangers. All the best to you. Thank you. All the nice best to you. you. Uh, thank you again. Again, Choir Boy premieres Tuesday, January 8th on Broadway. It is incredible. Up next, Stephanie is going to talk about Ladies Who Lead. Yay, congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> This is Ladies Who Lead, and I'm joined by Alexa Von Tobel, Chief Digital Officer at Northwestern Mutual and founder and CEO of LearnVest. Alexa, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I love this topic. So you are a personal finance guru. I was just saying, you came and talked to BuzzFeed, I think two or three years ago, to teach us all about personal finance. And I learned so much from you. And I think one of the things that people are always trying to get better at is managing their money. It's the new year. (laughs) I'm certainly like, okay, I need to kick this budget into gear. Do you have any tips off the top of your head for someone who just like really wants to get started? Yeah, so first I will say, um, I love January for your wallet because it's the time where, um, you know, I'm doing everything right now, trying to get full sleep, exercise every day, no carbs. Um, and all of the money things that you focus on. And so first I'll say I have a second book coming out called Financially Forward, um, all about how to use everything with technology to make your wallet better and stronger and easier in kind of the digital age. And it uh, went up live for pre-orders in the last few days. Um, And I wrote the book with all the sort of tips that I think are really important, which is technology is amazing right now. You can automate so many things. You can use different services to put more money back in your wallet. Um, you know, I give the the kind of hack of, I love my Amazon subscription shopping cart where I do nothing, get all the time back and get 15 to 20% off. So everything from those basic tips to also just reminding you like right now is the time to make your 401k contribution. So you get an extra year of growth um, and all the other things that we can all do to make sure you're as smart as possible. You also gear a lot of your advice towards millennials, younger generation, young women who are trying to figure out how this all works. Is there one tech tool that you, I don't want to spoil on your book, but (laughs) you could suggest to someone who's just like, I have no idea where to start? Um, I would say first, just in general, money is really overwhelming. It's not taught in high schools, colleges, or graduate programs across the country. Yet is like, we have to make decisions every day. We make six to 10 money decisions every day. And so if you feel overwhelmed, it's because we're constantly dealing with money, yet we were never given like the appropriate education. And it really is like hygiene, it's like brushing your teeth. You have to pay bills, you have to be like, money is like uh, the currency of your life, right? Um, And so one of the things that I tell people um, in the book uh, is you actually just really need to take the time to just learn the basics. And um, again, that's why I started LearnVest. It's why um, this book, Financially Forward, it co- covers the basics. There's literally a chapter called like all you need to know. And it's just one very, you know, I'm impatient. I don't have time. I'm just like everybody else. Um, so I was like, how do I cover the content as quickly as humanly possible um, so that people can do it? And I would just say, take take two hours and read the content and get a full overview. Um, and the last thing I'll just say on that is, I think people often think about their financial lives as like these small bits and starts. You actually just need to understand how your full wallet works. So everything from you know, your emergency savings to the basics of how you use credit card debt to big things like major investments like buying a home or investing in your 401k. And once you get the whole picture and then you need insurance to just protect you if you get sick or get hurt. Um, Once you get the whole picture, you're like, okay, it's really not that complicated. Um, And then there's a handful of hacks and I'm happy to give you a few more of those. Yeah, so I kind of want to talk about your journey a little bit though, because one of the gear Uh, points of the series is try to talk about how women can start their own businesses and become entrepreneurs. And you started your company when you were really young. (laughs) Do you have any advice for someone who... Thank you. Keep reminding me. (laughs) 
so tired, mom. You're. <laughs> uh, but do you have any advice for someone who might want to start their own company, especially young women? Yeah. So first, I'll just say I'm an entrepreneur to my bones. Uh, it took me until I was like 21 to understand that that's like that restless energy of loving to start and build and dream and inspire um, was always in me. And then one day I was like, oh my goodness. I kept being like, what career path should I be on? And I kind of realized I was like, oh my gosh, I'm an entrepreneur. And thank goodness we're in like the, you know, the 20 year uh, kind of uh, win for being an entrepreneur. It's such a fun time to be one. Um, but I started LearnBest when I, I literally in May of 2007, I founded it. I uh, went to business school, dropped out. Uh, I was 24 um, and sold LearnBest when I was 30 uh, to Northwestern Mutual and uh, for a few hundred million dollars. So it was um, definitely a wild ride. Um, and my advice to people is uh, dream big. Nobody else is going to dream for you. Uh, the most important thing that you can do for anybody out there, you know, regardless of who you are, um, is just set your sights a little higher. Um, when you decide, you know, I want to go build X and then add 50%, um, you end up aiming higher, working harder, dreaming a little bit bigger, and you may not get all the way there, and that's totally fine. Uh, and so I will just say, whenever I kind of think about what my goal is, I'm like, all right, let, let's make it a bit bigger. And that way, I at least uh, achieve kind of the basics of what I'm trying to go for. I know. I feel like a lot of women, especially, kind of, I think, try to be more realist and they kind of try to cut down on their dreams. But that's really, really good. You only advice. live once, right? Like, totally. It's, it's, it, this is not the dress rehearsal. This is life. And um, you get to be the architect of your own existence. And so go for it. I love it. Great advice. Alexa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. After the break, we're talking about how social status affects your skincare. About a year ago, I casually mentioned that I use hand soap on my face, and you all lost it. Joshua tweeted, you wash your face with hand soap? And Tanya Melendez said, me when Isaac talks about washing his face with hand soap. And then when I tried to learn, when I tried to grow for you all, my own show came after me tweeting, Isaac, exfoliating is when you rub a rock on your face, right? And that was your reaction to that. Well, listen, Amanda Mull, staff writer at The Atlantic, joins me now to talk about the open secret of skincare, which is less about soap and more about money. How are you, Amanda? Good, how are you? Uh, feeling pretty good about the way my skin looks, despite the fact that I'm not a millionaire, but you wrote, the best skincare trick is being rich. So what inspired you to write this piece? Um, well, I, before I worked at The Atlantic, I worked in fashion for 10 years. Uh, I've lived in New York for eight years. You see, in those two worlds, you see a lot of people uh, who have a lot of money and, uh, and you also get sort of a behind the scenes look at how people take care of their skin. Um, and it, and it just seems like the, the dominant narrative about what you should do in order to look a certain way didn't match up to what people, what people with access were actually doing in order to end up looking that way. Um, and, and that sort of tension is, I think, really frustrating to a lot of people. It's frustrating to me, a person with a, you know, a normal life and a norm, normal salary, um, so I, I felt like that was something that, that probably could use some explanation. Well, Amanda, I gotta say, I feel like your skin does look flawless, but that makes sense, right? We read about it all the time. I read your piece. It's like, oh, drink water, sleep for eight hours. But really a lot of these people are ex affording very, very exp expensive skincare products. So besides being able to afford creams and facials, how does being rich give you good skin? Um, well, beyond the products and treatments, uh, you also, being wealthy and having access to healthcare, having access to high quality food, having access to, um, you know, all the, all the different types of physical activity you could want, uh, gym memberships, things like that. Um, you know, the skin is sort of, is your largest and most public organ. Um, and it sort of reflects all the, all the, the elements that go into your, your life and your well-being. Uh, it reflects how much sleep you get and people with uh, normal nine to five jobs uh, and who don't have to, to worry about uh, taking on extra work. They get better sleep. Uh, they have better access to fruits and vegetables, better access to clean water. Um, so your skin ends up being sort of a reflection of a lot of things in your life beyond just uh, the types of products 
you can use and the types of facials you can get. Because time is money. Um, you also, in your piece, you talked about these, uh, the, an interview with a bunch of Victoria's Secret models, and they all, again, did that thing, the well-rested and the be sure to wash your face, uh, not commenting on some of the more expensive treatments that you found out and you knew that they went through. So why don't you think celebrities are more open about their expensive regime and lifestyles? Uh, I think there's a couple elements of that. I think that uh, that sort of the pay no attention to the man behind the curtain uh, perspective on beauty sort of helps keep their their lives mysterious and their uh, and their good looks feeling sort of magical. Um, and I think that that's a lot of uh, that, that sort of that disconnect is a, is why a lot of people are interested in them. Why people read those articles. Um, I also think that uh, the beauty magazines don't really want to print that, you know, these 22 year olds are a genetically gifted and that's why they have their jobs in the first place and B on top of that, getting thousands of dollars of laser treatments uh, because it, it becomes a bad pr value proposition to sell a $40 moisturizer uh, when that's the reality of the situation. Uh, so I think it's a combination of those two things. It doesn't really, it doesn't really benefit anybody uh, either in the in women's media or uh, or any of the models and celebrities to admit that this is what goes on. Okay, and so I wanted to ask you, as somebody that's been reporting on this and used to cover the fashion industry yourself, what would you like to see lifestyle magazines do? What would you like to see be different? Because so many people care about skincare now. Uh, lifestyle publications, I think, can make a little bit more explicit uh, the fact that what they're the, the aspirational lifestyle that uh, that they're set up to cover is something that's entirely a factor of class. And I think that there's a lot of room in lifestyle reporting in, in writing about fashion and writing about beauty to write about what we, you know, what we really mean when we talk about those things, like uh, to talk about how much money those things cost, to talk about who gets to have money, who gets to, you know, who's set up to have resources to achieve those things. Uh, taking the sort of view from nowhere uh, that we, we don't know, you know, we don't know how these things are in some people's lives and other people's lives. Well, we do. Um, and I think that if we talk about that more explicitly, uh, we're, you know, it, it enables people to, to full, more fully understand the context of the things they buy, the things they do to their bodies. And, like and also the things that they are comparing themselves to. You shouldn't be comparing right. yourself to the ultra-rich because those motherfuckers can't afford the facial. Well, Amanda, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. All right, listen, up next, Saeed and I are going to read your tweets. You've had a lot to say today. We're excited. I told you this morning was gonna be a lot, but hey, it is Friday, so we're loud. Okay, we have a tweet here from Meg Batspace on your last conversation. She tweeted, if we eat the rich, will we get great skin? Mm. To which I say, Meg, you notice my skin is flawless. <laughs> <laughs> so many jokes I wanna make right now, but I'm gonna push them down and hold them inside. We also asked you guys what you thought about Ellen, Kevin Hart, and the Oscars. Nick says, Wrong on so many levels. Kevin once again squandered an opportunity to sincerely apologize and take accountability for his words, and Ellen attempted to invalidate the feelings of all those in the LGBTQ community who have tried to make him accountable. Mm. Damn, that is well yeah. said, though. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to watch it because we were doing the show. I haven't gotten to watch much of it. I'll just say, I mean, listen, you know, Ellen knows her audience very well, and I don't think her audience centers people like me. My my main thing, my my... I don't want to say worst case scenario because there's a lot of things that can go a lot worse in the world. Uh, but I'm like, does this mean they're going to co-host together? You said that this morning and it chilled me to my core. But yeah, I that's like... That's at this point, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. Also, you know, maybe we just like go back to the beginning and I'm like, I was like, just go back. And I was like, Saeed, did you care about the Oscars that much in the first place? Mm. Did you have a lot of respect for the Academy as an institution in the first place? I didn't. I don't. So it is what it is. Let's talk about the L train, another institution I don't have respect for. Uh, this is what Jolie had to say because it's not shutting down. I still, it's very confusing. Uh, the L train fiasco is such garbage. Albany should not, uh, should not have a damn thing to say about how the MTA operates like now. Now is when Cuomo steps in. Now is when he wants to listen. Have people um, fund, how many people funding his post 
office options complained. That's what I want to know. Yeah, and Blazing FMA had this to say about site. Oh, I'm sorry. There was, we talk, well, yeah. no, I, I was just going to say this. If, you, if, if people who are outside of New York don't understand, the MTA is the subway system here in New York City. Right. Uh, but it is controlled by the state. So it's controlled by our governor, Cuomo, who was based in Albany, which is upstate. So we're just like, but we, it's us. And, <laughs> and what we said earlier in the show, he does like to play a little bit of the like, I don't Oh, it's it. not on me, it's not on me. But kind of like, a dad who maybe doesn't live in the house but likes to show up every once in a while. That's what this L train feels like yeah. a little bit. He's like, oh, now I get to ride in and be the hero a little mm -hmm. bit. If he announces a candidacy, if he announces he's running for 2020, we're going to replay this clip. I feel like we're and, putting And we're going to replay it right here, and I'm going to be standing here going... I feel like we're putting a lot of bad thoughts out into the world that I actually think might happen. Oh, I saw God. a lot of people using the word presidential. Oh. All right, but listen, Blasian FMA had this to say about Saeed's sit-down with Jeremy Pope. Also, no spoilers, but I lived for the blackness of Choir Boy. There were spirituals and a whole ass step show. Yeah, I, it is It is so beautiful. Uh, it's a beautiful play. You can read it. I mean, it, the play has been out for some time, but it's this Broadway debut. I would say this. If you have ever kind of felt intimidated by Broadway, you felt like, you know, it doesn't feel like my space. It's like it's weird. It's expensive. It's a very white space, right? A lot of wealth and all that kind of stuff. This is a whole different experience, okay? I was in there like, yeah! You know, we were like getting our lives. It's really fun, it's incredibly beautiful, and I think it, it, it kind of challenges the way I think queer characters are often depicted. Like, yes, this is a character who's dealing with stuff, but he is, he's a fighter, you know? And it was, it was fun and it gave me life. I can't I, wait to see it again. I am not gonna let us move on before I mention, though, that that man's voice oh my gosh. was soothing. Oh my gosh. I felt yeah. at peace. Yeah, just the you don't don't even get me started on the singing. I can't. I can't. There's also nudity. Okay, thank you to our guests, Jim Derogatis, Ben Max, Tarini Party, Jeremy Pope, Alexa Von Tobel, uh, Stephanie McNeil, and Amanda Mall. Thank you all. And next week we have such a great lineup: Lucy Hale, Terry Crews, Lana Condor, with Benjamin Wadsworth and Margaret Cho, along with Poppy Lou and Yin Kwan from Mercy Mistress. God, that's so many stars. Yeah, and because 2019 is already on some bullshit, we're not going to be here, alas, for all of those. Wonderful people, but I'll be watching on my phone. Stephanie and Hayes Brown will be here on Monday at 10 a.m. Excited to see them. Have a great weekend! It's Friday! You did it! Yee! The first weekend of 2019. Donuts!